It is really good to be here tonight. I uh, appreciate the hospitality of Wodonga Baptist each time I come. There is a sense in which um, it's rather a strange thing to stand up in front of a church that doesn't really, uh, doesn't really know me. You know, there's, there's a sense in which this speaker comes and uh, he's introduced as State Director of Global Interaction and, you know, everybody goes, oh yeah, you know. Well, I want to say too, with you, oh yeah, I'm a pretty ordinary person and uh, a lot of what I'll say tonight um, might in some way, due to my personality, draw attention to myself. I, I, I don't want that to happen. Let me tell you, this last week's been a bit tough on me. I've been a bit sick. My wife's been sick. I do a lot of driving and I've got mad about five times in the car this week at people on the road. Just who I am. I do that type of stuff. I've actually got mad with my son when he came home one day and wouldn't, wouldn't want to do the dishes. That's the type of bloke I am. But I do represent an amazing God. And if you hear anything tonight from me, the team, whatever happens here, be aware that this amazing God is very, very real. And I have a, even a sense as I walked in this place tonight that there was hardly anybody here but I had a sense that God was already sitting here and he was waiting for you to turn up. This amazing God, this, this amazing hospitable God is so in love with you that he was waiting here for you tonight to turn up. I guess that's what I want to get across tonight. You know, we come as, as Global Interaction, there's a small team of us. So I just want to tell you some stories and, uh, and, and, and introduce the theme a little bit, show you a DVD and a couple of things. You know, there's a bloke who I know quite well who lives in an island in the nation just above us called Indonesia. He's lived there for many years in a certain town that is predominantly Muslim. He understands the language, he meets with the people, he's become friends with these people. Sincere Muslim people. And as I was sitting talking to this bloke who works for Global Interaction, I found out some of the stories that are happening in his life and in the people who are meeting with him regularly. Be aware that most of his friends are regular mosque-going Muslims. Doug sat with me and said, Mark, here's something amazing that's happening. I sit with these people and time and time again, they tell me the same story. Here's what it is. Doug, I was at the mosque the other day and I was doing my prayers, my shahada, and I was down on my knees in the mosque and I had my head to the ground like this and I'm doing my prayers and as I raise my head up, I had a vision of Isa, Jesus, standing in front of me. Now let me just stop what they said there and ask you a question. When you think of mosques, what's the words that come to your mind? Don't yell them out, but think in your mind. I guess I grew up with this sense that they're God-forsaken places. They are places maybe even called the seat of Satan or evil places. And yet here, these Muslims are having a vision of Jesus in the mosque. This is staggering. 
And these people are coming to Doug. Doug, let me, let me continue the story. And they're saying, Doug, and I have this vision of Jesus. I'm actually bowing down to what I believe is the one true God. I look up and I'm actually bowing to Jesus. I don't know what to do with that, Doug. So I'll just put it away. Can you tell me what to do with that, Doug? This story is happening time and time and time again in mosques around the world. I have another friend who's just come back from the back blocks of Afghanistan and he's telling the same story. This hospitable God is turning up in mosques. God's there, a hospitable God, willing to sit down at the table with even Muslims. And yet, and yet they don't know what to do with the vision of Jesus. God's there, but who is going to name the name of Jesus? God, the great hospitable missionary, is already out there. But who's going to name the name of Jesus when these visions happen? This is what global global interaction is on about. We are representing Baptist churches and others around this nation in nine unreached people groups around the world. People that have not had the opportunity to have the name of Jesus actually named for them. God's there. God's working amongst them. But they need the name of Jesus named. Global Interaction is committed to naming that name. Have a DVD that some of you might have seen. I just want to play it to you now. A bit of an introduction about Global Interaction. I know I have a very very real understanding that this is not news to you people. You have had a long history with global interaction and a long history with the Yao people in Malawi and Mozambique in Africa. And I, I stand here rather amazed actually that there are people here that I know that, that they've, they've had their hearts set on fire by this hospitable God and want to share that hospitality with others. I won't name those names, but you know, I'm, I'm, every time I come to Wodonga, there's, there's a certain bloke I meet, and every time I meet with him, we always end up talking about Jesus. This, whatever we talk about always works its way to Jesus. There's another amazing lady who, uh, who, whose just heart is set on fire by Africa. There's a couple of amazing young blokes that you'll, that you'll know. Who One's an intern here now, another one's a youth pastor, associate pastor. I know their hearts. I know their hearts are set on fire by this hospitable God and I'm sure there are, there are dozens of others amongst you who know this stuff. But can I tell you tonight, this is what church is for. It's to tell the stories again. It's to have your imagination set alight again. You know, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're out amongst other stuff and we're told other stories 
the way to be happy, the way to be, the way to be successful, the way to really get on in life, the way to really, really, you know, set your life on fire is this, this. And they're the stories we're told. Well, here is where we get the real story. You see, those stories go somewhere deep within us. And we need to come here. This is what church is about. To have our, have our lives re-scripted, re-storied. And say, this is the real God that we follow, the hospitable God. And can I tell you, in the broad sense of that term, hospitality, it's a dangerous term. In our world, it's a dangerous term because it means taking enormous risks. I want to invite three of the people that I came with here this morning um, or this afternoon, Adinda and Mark and, uh, and Mel, to come up on, on the stage with me, if you would. Uh, no, don't worry. I'll get them to stand, Jono. That'll be there. Thanks, mate. They're young. If I can stand, they can stand too. Come on up, guys. It was a great road trip coming up. You probably, you people from Wodonga probably don't consider it a road trip. It's just down the highway to you. But uh, Wodonga to us out of Melbourne, it's a fair road trip. So I invited three, uh, three people to come with me and uh, we had a great time in the car. We talked about all sorts of things. And uh, I learned a lot about them. What we ha- who we have here is uh, Mark Jessup and Adinda Supadi and Melissa Benchik. Now, these guys are doing different things with Global Interaction. Mark and Mel are actually interns this year with Global Interaction. That means that they're doing uh, three major things. They're studying at uh, Whitley College. They're also involved with me during the week, doing all sorts of exciting things like visiting mosques, going to interfaith dialogue, classes, those types of things. And the third thing is that they will be involved overseas at the end of this year, uh, thinking about where the future might lead them in that. The other person standing in the middle here, different coloured skin. She actually calls herself uh, a bit of a coconut. She's brown on the outside, but underneath she's a real true Aussie. So you open up and it's white on this side. Adinda actually has an amazing story. She's going to tell you a little bit more about that later. But Adinda is going back to Indonesia with Global Interaction for a couple of years. And uh, so it's good to have you guys here. We're talking about this hospitable God. So I wanted to involve you in the conversation. You first, Mel. Mel, church at Werribee, where you belong, tell us a little bit about church and hospitality, some of the things you've been involved in, some of the things you've seen about hospitality. Um, yeah, all right, cool. Um, I guess one of the things that um, stands out to me um, in the way that I'm part of Werribee Baptist um, that stands out about them being quite hospitable is a few years ago um, there was a, a Baptist Congress that was held in Melbourne and there were a number of churches involved in um, supporting people who were coming from overseas and um, allowing people to stay in their homes and that sort of thing. And our church was involved in that as well. And um, so there were a number of people who volunteered their time, and um, which actually meant quite a sacrifice for, for many people in terms of going to the airport at ridiculous hours with Australian flags and little koalas, which was probably a bit daggy, but effective on, <laughs> on one hand as well. And um, just allowing people to come into their homes, people would come from overseas, you know, total strangers, um, but allowing people to stay in their homes. And um, a lot of people who came from, from these countries didn't actually have anything lined up. Um, so a lot of people came to the airport and had just met um, some of the people from our church who were welcoming them and 
you know, if we're able to stay with them as well. And um, our family was looking to have someone stay with us and as it worked out, um, this particular person didn't come. But this other lady rocked up from Slovakia and she had nowhere to stay. And my family's actually Slovakian. And um, so my dad was able to uh, meet this woman and she was able to stay with us. And um, through that we maintained a friendship. Um, so much so that when we went over a couple of years ago, we were able to stay with her. So sort of worked out quite nicely. <laughs> so Mel, talking about hospitality in the local church, what, what, what do you think, in your connection there with, with Werribee, Slovakia and those places, what does hospitality have to do with mission for you? How does it connect? Um, yeah, I guess it often involves a lot of food. <laughs> I think particularly being from Eastern Europe, a lot of food is involved. Um, and I think with that food comes um, a connection, obviously. So a lot of that food is... Um, you know, consumed over over tables and over um, conversations that are had in building those those relationships and those networks with people. And I think, um, yeah, through building those connections, um, you're able to share some of your life and your passions, and also um, learn some stuff about the person who you're engaging with through that as well. So, yeah, I think food plays a big part in that, but hospitality is yeah a huge connecting point when it comes to. I, I, I wonder if we understand the connection of that. I grew up with a sense of the, this dualism, this sense that the body was evil and the soul was good and if I could do away with the bodily stuff, you know. But food's very much centred in the body and it reminds me that Jesus came in the body. Christianity is a religion of the, of the body in a way, the incarnation, we're right there. So I agree with you that the sense that food might have something to do with God's hospitality and mission. Thanks, Mel. Adinda. Adinda, you've uh, been, well, evidently born in a different place. You know a fair bit about Indonesia. Tell us a little bit about hospitality and Indonesia. What does it mean? Um, in Indonesia, hospitality is 100% service by the host, and which means you pay for the food, you clean the house, you do everything else. And, um, yeah, food plays a big part. So in your family, what would happen if you were inviting people over for the night meal? What would happen the day before? Um, or? Mum would be screaming, saying, Dinda, don't clean your room and clean the bathroom because the people come in, we don't want people to see your messy house, blah, blah, blah. And she'll be cooking heaps of food, so then, you know, there's got to be enough food for everyone. Unless, otherwise, it would be embarrassing. Now, being an Indonesian, when you look at Australian people, is there a difference you see between the hospitality in the two nations? That's the only issue that we face this, okay? Um, well, uh, it was a culture shock for me when I came to Australia um, and a friend of mine invited me to a birthday party um, at Swaggy's, back in the days at Swaggy's. And um, yeah, I thought, oh yeah, she's invited me and she'll be paying for me because that's what we do back there. And I just had like, I don't know, probably like $10 on me. And back then, small years would be like $30 for dinner. And then I came and found out at the end of, oh, at the, yeah, because you pay when you get in. And everyone's put, pulling out money out of their wallets. And I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, should the birthday girl be paying for me? But yeah, you have to pay for yourself. So that's what I find. Okay. Do you think we as a church, as a Christian community, can learn something from Indonesia about hospitality? strong emphasis on relationship yeah, and 
should be, you know, building good relationships between each other. But um, yeah, I guess emphasis on relationship and just more being more the like hundred percent. You're the not not as a servant like you know you do everything they tell you, but you know being a hundred percent service to them. Kind of thing. So you would see that hospitality and mission could have a very strong link. Yeah, thanks. Good on you, Dinda. Mark, Mark, you've grown up um, as a pastor's kid, um, lived in how many different places? Uh, a dozen. A dozen different places, Dad being a minister in churches and that. Have you had many people in your home over the years? Oh, yeah. Um, all sorts. Um, it was for us, my family, um, a lot of this goes back to my mother. I reckon she takes a lot of the credit for this extremely practical woman. Um, now, she's fighting a losing battle to keep the house clean and clean the bathroom and tie up rooms because um, the youngest of uh, three boys. Um, I reckon, if I could sum it up, it's about the atmosphere, creating an environment and a context where people feel comfortable. If you, if you have that, um, uh, yeah, if you create that, um, everything else sort of falls into place. Naturally, people will drop around, feel comfortable, they might stay longer. Um, if you create, you create space, you create room, um, if you have room in your house to have people to sleep the night, and that can be very helpful, to have meals, um, and from that you can end up with some really good conversations. Um, all of my friends uh, that are my age in the last few years, they notice that, um, they understand who I am from being around my parents, um, which I reckon is really cool. Like I'm not embarrassed, uh, well not most of the time anyway, but, um, <laughs> So yeah, that makes sense. It's about the creating our own atmosphere. So Mark, tell us a little bit about, I mean, where has, you've grown up in a family that's very strongly wanting to share the gospel. How has hospitality helped do that in your family? It helps because uh, you want all of your friends um, to come around your house and you want them all to feel comfortable, not just your Christian friends, because um, they, they know the right zone, you know, and the right conversations and the right etiquette. Um, it's about getting sort of, you know, the misfits or the, um, yeah, so it's about welcoming everyone in. Um, like I said before, it's about, well, once you create that space um, and that relaxed environment and you be honest with people, like, you know, we don't have it all together, but we're trying here, people sort of admire that, respect that um, and can join in life together, you know, start sharing some of their stories. Now, we're talking a little bit about hospitality, and you're probably thinking, well, what, really, what's that got to do with the Bible? What I want to do is stop right now. I want you to pair up with somebody, and I want you to try and brainstorm together what stories you can think of in the Bible that centre around hospitality. Okay, just do that for a few minutes. Pair up with somebody. What stories in the Bible actually centre around hospitality? Sorry? Sorry? Yeah, it is. Thanks, guys. That's Sorry, great. Sorry, I don't really stories, but... No, no, that's great. That's great. That's good. No, you did well. Thank you. Thank you. What I'm, oh, just before you sit down, I'm going to ask you each about which story in the Bible about hospitality stands out for you. So think about it now. Okay. There's plenty of host Abraham and Sarah. Oh, I'm going to have to use Luke when we discuss Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
Zacchaeus, hospitality. Yep. Any others? The Good Samaritan. Yep. Feeding the 5,000. Mary Martha. Mary Martha. Yep. About love. David and Goliath. As long as it's got Jesus in it, we're right. <laughs> the Last Supper. The Last Supper. Yeah, you're scratching your nose, yeah. Um, Abraham and um, when the angels came. Yep, yep, the yep. The, the water in the wine. Mark? Um, I love the story of uh, Matthew, tax collector. Um, when he, Jesus walked by, said, follow me. He said, yep, all right. And he threw a party that night with all his sinner friends. Yep, cool. Adinda? <laughs> Washing the feet of the disciples. Yep. Yep. Let's go to Mr. Kiss. He was the one up the tree, yeah? Yeah, because Jesus like, created his own hospitality, even though he didn't have a house to invite someone to invite himself. And that's cool, cool. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. That's great. If, when, when you think about hospitality, it absolutely fills the Bible. Let me tell you some stories. Val, my wife, and I love. Uh, Love eating out. We live right in the centre of Melbourne and uh, we live in an apartment block and so often on a Saturday morning we'll go out for breakfast. And I don't know if you know Melbourne that well but there's a lot of little cafes in Melbourne that actually eat out on a footpath. And so on a sunny day you'll have all these tables out on the footpath and then the shop's in there and there's more tables inside. We love eating outside. One Saturday morning we were sitting at Kensington Kendington's one of the places in Melbourne and we're sitting out at a, at a little cafe and we're, we're there at a bunch of tables and between the bunch of tables and the shop was about a metre of footpath that you could walk down and then there was a the shop front and, and more people inside. Val and I were sitting at, the, at one of the tables and we noticed there was about six tables up the, up the uh, footpath there. They were all filled with white Anglo people. Now I don't know if you know Kensington, very multicultural area, but these were white Anglo people. Some had their Prams, others had their designer dogs, you know, their papers, all those types of things. They were sitting there and being very Anglo-white, having their lattes and their breakfast and all that stuff. And Val and I were sitting there. All of a sudden, I looked up and I noticed coming down this footpath was a Muslim woman. She was covered and she had a couple of little kids. She was from, North, she was from the Horn of Africa, some Somalia or somewhere there. And I noticed as, her, as she come down and she's looking at this very threatening one metre aisle that has to go down the middle of these Anglo people and the shop front. And I even saw her hesitate and think, do I cross the road? What do I do? But she realised it was a busy road. She couldn't get across. So she gathered her two sons, pulled them in really close, put her head down and virtually jogged up this middle aisle between the tables and the shop front. Now this is a story about Australia, a story that goes deep within me and resonates because tables in Australia, our hospitable space, can so often divide rather than bring together. And my key question tonight, I guess, is who do you invite to your table or who do you include at your table, whether that be in your own home, in your own family, or in this world. The Gospel of Luke 
is an amazing, amazing gospel. Did you know if you go through the Gospel of Luke and flick through the pages, on every single page you'll find Jesus eating or drinking or talking about eating or drinking. He was called a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus liked his wine. Jesus liked his food. That's what Jesus did. Now this is rather incredible. Because you've got to recognise in Jesus' society, tables were boundary markers. Jesus lived in two cultural contexts. One was the Roman context. In the Roman context, the table was a social boundary marker. The landowners did not eat with the labourers. The centurions did not eat with the common soldiers. The table was very definitely a boundary marker. Jesus also lived in the Jewish context. While the Roman table was a social boundary marker, in the Jewish context it was a purity or religious boundary marker. The pure did not eat with the impure. The well-to-do in religious circles did not eat with the not well-to-do in religious circles. And Jesus comes along and on every single page of Luke's Gospel he's eating and drinking with all the wrong types of people. Actually, one of the commentators on Luke said Jesus got himself executed because of who he ate with, because of the way he dealt with the table. Now that's rather staggering. There's a story actually in Luke's Gospel about Jesus eating and drinking. I'm not going to read it right through, but he's, uh, he's, at, a, he's at a host's place and uh, Jesus turned to the host and he said, hey, look, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbours, the kind of people who will return the favour, invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favour, but the favour will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. You know, this story horrified Jesus' listeners. Does it horrify us? This is an amazing hospitable God. An amazing hospitable God. I can't remember way back to when I was here last time. I might have told you this story, but it bears repeating. Let me tell you about this hospitable God and just who he's willing to come and sit and eat and drink and talk and be hospitable with. About uh, middle of last year, I was in Indonesia and I had to touch down at one of the major cities in Indonesia called Surabaya. Now, usually when I ask churches, where's Surabaya, there's hardly a hand goes up. Surabaya's in the black blocks of the world. Most people don't even know it exists. So get the picture. Black blocks of the world. I've sat down there, millions of people. 40 degrees peat, 100% humidity. I'm walking around in this place that is predominantly Muslim. 
I walked down, because I've lived in Indonesia for quite a few years, understand the language, I walked down to the station and I meet a Becha driver. Now, a Becha in Indonesia is a rickshaw, public transport vehicle. These guys pedal these Bechas around, making 20, 30 cents a day. A lot of them have no home to go to. They sleep in their Bechas. In Surabaya, this place of millions of people, there are thousands of Bechat drivers, literally thousands of Bechat drivers. They're way down the bottom, way down the bottom of the social hierarchy in Surabaya. I get talking to this Bechat driver. And as I'm talking to him, I recognise I'm late to where I'm going, so I jump in his Bechat and tell him to cart me round to the, uh, the shopping centre where I'm going to meet somebody. So he's pedalling away, and I think, I better pray for this guy. So just quietly, in a culturally appropriate ways, I'm just very quietly praying for this Bechat driver, asking that God will bless him, that God would reveal himself to him, asking that God would be there. And you know what happened? God was very rude. He interrupted my prayer. Now, I don't say this lightly. I don't get this stuff happen very often. I don't get voices from heaven and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But God spoke. It wasn't out loud. It was in me. And you know what God said in the middle of my prayer? He said, hey, Mark, did you know that I love this guy as much as I love you? Now, I I don't know if you get the impact of that on my life at that moment. Because God continued. And you know what God said? I know how many hairs are on his head. I was there when he was conceived. People, can you get, can you get the impact of this? This is Surabaya. Where's Surabaya? It's a back box of the world somewhere. It's a Muslim place. It, 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 this was a Bechat driver, one of thousands of Bechat drivers, one of millions of people in, that nobody knows about. And the God of heaven said, I was there when this guy was conceived. People, this is an amazing God. An amazing God. But here's the crunch. Here's the crunch for all of us. Who's going to name the name of Jesus for that Bechat driver? Did you know in these unreached people groups, mainly Muslim, some of them Buddhist, some of them Hindu, in these unreached people groups of the world, 2,000 of these unreached groups, you know how much percentage of Christian workers are there? Less than 1% of Christian workers work in those places. People, you talked about justice and mission last week. Where is the justice in that? This amazing, hospitable God is there. There before I got there, there before anybody got there, there working. It's the missionary God. We haven't got some pompous God who sits in Wodonga Church and says, get out there, people, and witness to my name. God's already out there and he's saying, follow me. Follow me. Who's going to name the name of Jesus? I was sitting in another place, so I was coming home from uh, overseas and I was sitting in a, uh, an airport at a place called Maidan and I got my flights mixed up and I had to wait in the airport for about five or six hours. So I made my way out to a table 
little cafe outside the front of the airport. Again, a very hot place. Millions, no, not millions, but hundreds, thousands of people out the front of the airport you know, peddling and buying and selling and doing shining shoes, thousands of people. I'm sitting at this table and I'm sitting at this table with a group of people. If I can remember rightly, there was a, a woman from Kenya, there was a man from Spain, there was a couple of Indonesians, there was a guy from um, Somalia, there was a Frenchman and a woman from Russia, I too, I think, was there. And we're sitting around this table and uh, we're drinking coffee. And I sat there for about five hours and, and I, I happened, we, we were talking about our faith journey and, and that type of stuff. And, and these people were from all different walks of life and, and different ideas of what faith was and that type of stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, there is no place I would rather be than here. There's nothing I would rather be doing than this right at this moment. It was like a this is heaven experience for me. You know that, that, that Revelation chapter that says, and at the table there will be every tongue, every every person. But again, here's the crunch. What a marvellous table to belong to. What a hospitable God who invites people to the table, but who is going to name the name of Jesus? Because you see, that implies an invitation. It can be knocked back. But how are they going to know unless the name of Jesus is named? So where does this leave us? What does this do for us? What about you? They're good stories, but, you know, what do you do? Pack up and go home and say, yeah, that was nice. But what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about the rest of your life? What do you do with this stuff? How do, we, how do we follow this hospitable God? I, um, I would like us to actually give some pretty serious thought and time to this question tonight. I'm going to invite uh, the, the, the three guys, the three, the three guys to come down and, and stand at three different places. They're going to talk to you just very briefly about three different responses. Three different responses that I believe that we can think about tonight. And then I'm going to ask you to actually make a response. And that response is going to require you to do something. It's going to require you to actually be physically involved because I want you, as a response to actually stand and get up out of your seat and make your way to one of these tables. So which response would it be for you? So I'm going to get them to talk about their tables, just very briefly, and what that response might look like. And then we're going to have some quiet and silence. There's going to be no music, nothing happening, except asking the Spirit of God to speak to each one of us and say, God, God, what would you have me do? And then I will close in prayer. I want you to get to, 
want to get you to think about who are the people that you include at your table, but more so who are the people that you exclude from your table? Who are the social misfits that you're trying to avoid? Who are the specific cultural groups that you might want to cross the road to avoid? Which is the friend that you've been meaning to catch up with for a coffee? Who's the family that you could have over for dinner? Who are the people that you could be more intentional about journeying with? And through that sharing your faith journey and sharing Jesus. So if, if you've been thinking about um, some of these people during what Mark's been sharing, someone who you can connect with, someone who you can um, invite over for a meal or um, hang out with over a table or just share some hospitality with, um, I invite you to come over to this table and um, there's pieces of paper here and there's some texts and pens and I want you to write your name on the top of the paper and underneath that write down the name of, of the person or the family or the cultural group on there and commit to um, getting alongside that person but also in writing that I encourage you to give that piece of paper to somebody else um, to a close friend, someone that you know will keep you accountable to that. Someone who's going to ask you next Sunday, how did you go with that person? So I invite you to do that if you've been um, led to think about someone in that specific way. If God is stirring your heart and your mind into action and you think maybe um, you would like to go and serve overseas, um, there are two programs. Uh, one is Global Discipleship Training, which is what that poster is about. And now that is about uh, spending three months in Townsville um, and two months overseas. And I would describe that as a uh, taster for long-term mission. Um, I did the course myself, so it's approved by me. Um, it's awesome, so you get to hang out with a bunch of people, um, roughly sort of young, youngish people, but it's for anyone. Um, you study. Um, community work and uh, Christian ministry stuff, and then you get to go overseas for two months, how good is that? Um, so that is a program that Global Interaction run. The other one is Generation Isaiah 6 Professionals. Um, that is one to two years um, for trained professionals to go over overseas and use your skills, pretty much. Um, so Global Interaction work in Africa and Asia and Outback Australia, um, and there's all this lovely information um, up here. So I would encourage you, um, this is like a full-on one about actually you know, going overseas. Um, but, yeah, Jesus has done that for me, and it's a journey I'm on. I always speak of a journey because you just don't know where God's going to take you. So I would encourage you, come up, have a look at some of this stuff, just have a think um, about, about your future, what you're doing for the next few years, um, and where God can use you. Um, I'm just going to quickly tell you a bit of my story and how um, God has called me to where I am now. Um, Mark's given me... Sorry. Yeah. I have to like squash everything in like five minutes, so it you know, easy, but I'll give it a shot. Um, okay, so I was born in Jakarta, in, in Indonesia, as Mark already said before. Um, and when I was 10, um, the family migrated to Australia. And so I've been here probably for 14 to 15 years. 
and a lot has happened during that 14, 15 years, and um, it has shaped me to become the person that I am now. Um, but I'm just gonna say a couple of events um, that you know that's um, part of the highlights in my life. And the first one is probably um, the divorce when my mom and dad um, divorce. My dad is a Muslim, and mom is a nominal Christian, and um, and they divorced when I was 12 years old, and that was like tragic for me. But um, I guess I don't regret it now because um, that's what led me to Christ. That's when my faith, uh, my journey with um, Christ started. So it's a good thing. And um, I did high school in Melbourne, and I went to uni in Deakin University in Burwood. I did Indonesian commerce, and people asked me, they're like, "Why are you doing Indonesian? Why are you studying the language?" And I was, I thank God for that because um, from there I learnt more about the history of Indonesia and the people of Indonesia, a lot that I've missed out when I was, because I came here when I was in primary school, and I learned more of the formal language Indonesian. And um, I also, we, we often go back to Jakarta for holidays once a year, or maybe once every two years, and it's always been like a cheap shopping destination for me, where I can get cheap shoes, cheap bags, anything you can purchase there. But um, just probably a couple of years, probably three, four years um, back, God started to change my views about my holidays to Indonesia. He started to change um, the way I look at people. So I was more concentrated on building relationship with the people there. And there's a story Mark told. This, oh, it's not, it's not the same story, but it's the same kind of meaning. Um, I met this guy. Um, he alters jeans. He goes around the complex with his wooden trolley, and it's full of surprises to the trolley because he pulls out like a sewing machine and all this other stuff in there. And it costs a dollar fifty for a pair of jeans to be altered. I don't know if you want to put it up, just anything. And um, I asked him to come in um, in the front veranda, and I, you know, I said to him, I need a jeans to be altered. And then my auntie, my sister, they all came out with a pair of jeans each. And he was really happy because um, usually he'd get like probably two or three pairs of jeans a day, but that day he got about seven. And um, I sat around with him and chatted to him, gave him food to eat and drink. And um, yeah, he told me about his family. He's got three children, and imagine earning a dollar fifty per jeans, and probably get three jeans a day. How much would he get? That's hardly anything. But he was really happy, and I just felt like God saying to me, "Dinda, I love this man as much as I love you." And that was just like, whoa, you know, like it just showed me God loves the people in Indonesia as much as He loves the people here, as much as He loves me. And um, fast forward a couple of years after, um, I was involved in a car accident. I fell asleep behind the wheel and my car just tumbled and you know, everyone there was saying it's a miracle that you survived with just cuts on my forehead and a swollen um, wrist. And I just felt like God was saying to me, Dina, stop wasting your time, you know? Um, do something about this call that I've put in your life. So um, I enrolled myself at Bible College in Victoria and that's where I met Karis and another two guys from here, Abraham, Garden and Fraser. And um, yeah, and I was challenged a lot, and Karis would know what I'm talking about when I say it's very challenging. And there I learned a lot about God's mission in this world. And during that time, which was last year, um, I met Mark Holt, this man right here, and he told me about his um, time in Indonesia for 10 years and really inspired me. And he's asked me, Dinda, why don't you apply for this GI6 Pro, um, what Mark was talking about before, and, and I thought, oh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty scary applying for this thing because 
you have to go through an interview process and you have to go through like, I don't know, four, four interviews. And, um, but I said, you know, God, if this is what you want for me, if this is what you want for my life, I'll get accepted. And praise the Lord, I was accepted and here I am now. And in obedience to God's calling, I'll be um, going to Indonesia probably at the end of this year um, for two years with a GI6 Pro um, to an island called Bhutan and be working with the team there. And um, yeah, it's just amazing how God just wants to use someone like me. And it's a privilege for me to be able to go to Indonesia um, involved in God's mission. So, yeah. Thank you, Adinda. Thank you. Now, it's your turn. There's uh, three ways to respond, or maybe there's more than three ways to respond. Maybe you could go to two or three different tables. But over here, what do you do about it in your own neighbourhood? Who is the name that you would write? Who is the person that you will invite to your table? You know, I have a friend at, uh, who, who, has, who has written a marvellous little book called God Next Door, and he said, for all the church's amazing programs of evangelism, probably the most effective thing we can do for evangelism is set another place at the table. So think about that. Who could you invite to your table? Maybe it's something about joining that less than 1% here at Mark's table. Or could I say over here at Adinda's table, this, I don't know if you've caught the impact of, of this young woman. People... People who come from Indonesia to Australia want to get away. It's hard work living there. They come to Australia, they, they don't want anything to do with that type of the part of the world anymore. But here is a young woman who has an amazing background. Muslim dad, Christian mum, very firmly committed to Jesus and wants to serve the Indonesian nation. So what can you do at that table? Well, Adinda needs around about $20,000 to go back. Could you be part of that? Could it be $5 a week, $10 a week, whatever? That's a response at that table. I'm just going to ask the Lord to speak to us now and then please don't remain seated. Even if it's you just come up and wander past the three tables, that's fine because I don't want it a bit embarrassment and nobody comes. This is a chance to respond. Let me pray. Inviting God, gracious God of hospitality, do not let us get away. How we tame you down so often with what we do here. God, you are a, you are a, you are a raging fire. You are, a, you are a flaming, awesome being who gathers people. Let us respond to you. Come by your spirit. Come by your spirit right now. We give you the quiet to speak and we ask for the courage to respond. <laughs>